0: The Affairs or email the Affairs uh, at gmail.com where you can uh, email us if you get uh, very angry at us for this episode. Where uh, we we attempted to record this once before, uh, we made some executive decisions uh, about uh, our half year music list uh, for this uh, year of 2019, the uh, late uh, incoming uh, bit uh, from what we usually like to do over to you. But nevertheless, uh, we always soldier on. Uh, And who do I have uh, with me here to uh, discuss the records today? The
1: uh, Affairs Currents music correspondent, Isaac, back from an unfortunate computer crash and hoping that uh, we can knock this one out. Uh... All
0: right, perfect. So um, I did want to just maybe, so so just to give you a little bit of information, we did uh, start recording this with our usual track list. Um, however, uh, that audio has been lost to the space, to space-time continuum of the, you know, the internet black hole, um, or at least part of it has. I may be able to reconstruct my end of it, and you can, maybe you can listen to that later. I'll try to do that for you, listeners. Um, but nevertheless, we did have a little bit of a, of an intro discussion there, but I think the... The big themes that we kind of settled on were 2019, so far a bit of a disappointment in the sense of the records that were coming out from the big name acts that we had um, a lot invested in. People like uh, American Football, Bruce Springsteen, Strand of Oaks, uh, and uh, also some others like Vampire Weekend and The National were maybe not necessarily up to the the par that we expect from those acts uh, based on our previous um, interactions with them. Not necessarily that these records were awful, not necessarily that these records were uh, even our biggest disappointment of the year, but that they just didn't really stick in the mind uh, very long. So along uh, that theme, we kind of have the maybe the Kenya of this category. Um, as always, we'd like to uh, accentuate the positive and move on from the negative uh, on the show. However, you know, we want to give you the two minutes hate so you know what to Uh, either avoid or at least maybe go in with temperate expectations, so our disappointment of the year. And obviously, this is not saying this is the absolute worst record that came out. Thousands of records come out each year. We don't listen to all of them. We're not professional critics. Um, But nevertheless, there is a certain kind of sense of betrayal that comes in when you have really high expectations. You go in hyped, and you think, man... That did not live up to my expectations. That was kind of a waste of uh, 30 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever it may be. So what is your uh, disappointment of the year for 2019 so far?
1: Well, first off, on this uh, second pass, I'd like to take uh, a brief moment to give out uh, two dishonorable mentions to two bands who released albums that, while I think not bad, and kind of ironically for different reasons, or the opposite reason, Uh, kind of fell short of expectations or really didn't give me what I was looking for. And that was, uh, we talked about the first, The Nationals, I Am Easy to Find, an album that I think was um, a bit too long and didn't really have the kind of uh, experimentation and variety in song structures and sonic palette, even though they did the songwriting and the vocals were sort of nicely balanced to kind of sustain itself. And it ended up, not leaving a huge impression. And the second uh, kind of the opposite effect was uh, Deer Hunter's album that came out in January, uh, Why Hasn't Everything Already Disappeared, an album that just, uh, I think, didn't deliver uh, on uh, a kind of full product at the end of the promise it had about, uh, you know, a kind of uh, Deer Hunter's, like, kind of Baroque pop album. Uh, moving forward, working with Cat Laban and singing about, you know, uh, it's, uh, about a kind of a decay and a kind of malaise and, and lack of uh, a path forward that maybe might kind of psychologically be resting over us. You know, it's a very intriguing, gripping uh, concept for an album. And it just, I think like 20 to a million but maybe the experimentation and the kind of course the the standout ballads you know without the that aspects of the album it just had uh not quite enough there too many instrumental pieces not enough uh, memorable turns of phrase uh so the anyway uh two kind of unfortunate dishonorable mentions the, my my uh, most dishonorable, and uh, I'll be short because uh, I, I took a while to get here, is Mac DeMarco's "Here Comes the Cowboy" an album that, on our first uh, discussion of it, Carter had totally forgot came out this year, which I think should be, you know, an indication of uh, the memorability we're working. And I'll, I'll be brief and just say that this record, although it initially promised to kind of do some interesting things with a more conceptual turn and a use of kind of minimalism and space and atmosphere that we hadn't really seen from Mac DeMarco, Uh, that was kind of all the record delivered. And it really, uh, it is one of the most unmemorable albums that uh, has come out from an artist that, you know, beyond their kind of musical chops, just has like a very Uh, consistently engaging persona and kind of method of writing in their music and uh, I really this album just kind of uh, fails to progress any of the stuff I thought Mac was bringing forward providing kind of a maturation for himself on this old dog so it's it's at the bottom of my list
0: yeah um so i'll just kind of reiterate what we said from the first recording um the the thing is yeah like it's just it's the definition of the word unmemorable um it's not that it's even particularly like bad per se as it uh, as it plays but it comes off as just sort of a wet squib uh not even necessarily like man this is hitting me in the face with how bad it is but rather it's just like. Like, did that come out? Did I listen to that? Who knows? It's like an it's Schoeniger's uh, Back to go record. Um, it's like, it's, yeah, it just, it, and it's like you said, like, from the maturity that he was showing both lyrically and sonically on this old dog, I think the idea with this record was to go kind of minimalistic and kind of... Um, more thematically consistent, this idea of like the songwriter as the cowboy and and that whole theme, which again, as uh, we're going to be saying this a bunch of times, although hopefully not that much, um, you know, as we discussed from the previous attempt to record this, you know, people drew a, drew a comparison between that and the Mitski record that came out last year, "Be the Cowboy," um, and even though you know uh, there are um, you know certainly you can arrive at at that thematic conceit uh, kind of by multiple. Uh, directions, and I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, Wacked him off ripped off uh, Mitski or whatever, but just to say that, like, she really did that idea better, even though I don't even necessarily think that record is her best. Um, nevertheless, it was captured that idea much better on her record. And yeah, overall it's just kind of a very unmemorable record. There's not a lot of memorable hooks, the songs are pretty mid-tempo and samey, and unlike, you know, even The National, who like We With You, the record that they put out this year was a bit disappointing, both in terms of its length and then also in terms of its sort of sonic sameness, at the very least they do have a certain kind of like I guess I would say classiness and a certain kind of atmosphere that they bring to even those kind of more boring, quote-unquote, mid-tempo numbers, whereas Mac DeMarco he was going just so minimalist that, and it's one of these things where, like, that can work if you're really trying to drive at something thematically, but I just don't think he's quite there yet in terms of a maturity as a songwriter to really get that across, um, if that's what, indeed, he was going for. So overall, it just kind of comes off, like, yeah, you know, okay, a big shrug of a record, basically. And, and as Isaac said, I didn't even remember that it came out this year until uh, we started talking about it the first time. Um, so my most disappointing of the year, and I, I do want to just briefly say a couple of things. So, um, you know, maybe if I can reconstruct the audio from my half of it, you'll hear me discuss a little bit the national record, uh, again, kind of said my piece on that. Um, and also the, the new Bruce Springsteen record, which, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Springsteen. But um, the new record was not his best Although I think it had some interesting ideas And some interesting songs on it But I would qualify that as a disappointment Um, I would also, you know, maybe we'll just It'll come up later, but um, You know, I would also say maybe The the new Vampire Weekend did not stick with me that much Even though I think sonically Certainly it was more adventurous Than a lot of these other records So I wouldn't per se call it a disappointment Just rather that it didn't live up to You know, definitely didn't live up to like Modern Vampires of the City per se um, but nevertheless, my number one disappointment of this year, and I really hate to say it, but it is "I, comma I," uh, by Boni Um, And the the biggest reason this is such a disappointment to me is that you know Boni when he came out, really had this idea of like kind of taking this you know acoustic guy, you know guy with an acoustic guitar sitting in a cabin music, but it was kind of twisted and a little bit cracked and these like interesting. You know, Even on the first record where he has these like weird kind of looped samples of horns and things like that um, worked into it, there was a certain deconstructionist element to it, and definitely that came forward on 22 A Million, which was a record that um, I thought was a little bit disappointing, uh, but I could see where it was coming from, and I thought it was at the very least an interesting sonic experiment, and it did grow on me. Um, this new record, I think it's caught in this weird middle ground of trying to, in some senses, go back to the self titled then forever, forever ago that... More organic kind of instrumentation, not quite as glitchy and electronic as Twenty Two Million, or at least less self-consciously so. Like we don't have you know song titles that are a bunch of like uh, cat running over the keyboard kind of kind of uh, uh, titles. Um, but at the same time, the the songwriting is still very cracked and very abstract and like not quite coming together the way you would expect. And that would be fine if you know the the sonic's really delivered and. Overall, yes, I mean, is this record kind of interesting and, like, you know, interesting to listen to in the sense of, okay, like, here's a new element coming in, and, like, that's recorded very well, and, like, okay, here's where he's put the horns and the strings and that kind of thing. Like, yes, like, if you just kind of let it wash over you, it is a, you know, an interesting piece of music to have on in the background, I suppose. But for somebody that really managed to engage me emotionally, even when, like, you know, lyrically he was always kind of abstract and does this quite make sense, not really, but you could, there was something there, real emotional beat to it, Um, On this one, it just really comes off like, uh, you know, uh, it comes off with weirdness for weirdness sake in a lot of cases. And the comparison I'd make is, you know, between uh, this record and probably somebody who will come up later. But when Conor Obos put out um, two records on the same day in 2004, uh, Digital Ash and Digital Word and I'm Wide Awake It's Morning, and one of those, I'm wide awake. It's morning. Is you know still very well remembered by myself amongst other people. Um, but digital ash digital world is you know this kind of weird running ice like acoustic songs through these sort of cracked digital textures and like most of it didn't really work. Um, I feel like we may be hitting the end of the line as far as this. Um, approach to Bonnie Bear's music and I almost kind of want to say to Justin Jordan like you know maybe you should get back to just you with, in the in the cabin with the recorder dude um, and I, I know that he wants to be this adventurous sonic guy and sometimes it works but on this record it just wasn't clicking for me I will give it an allowance in that it may grow on me and I will say that 22 million did grow on me a bit so so I will say You know, if I listen to it a little bit more, will this one grow on me, potentially? Um, But for right now, it is my most disappointing record of the year.
1: Yeah, I I definitely, I'm still struggling to make heads or tails of the album and where it kind of sits with Bonnie Bear for me. Like, I think that in some ways, it's a very well-executed synthesis of his last two albums in a way that I think uh, might pull in people who were put off by twenty two a million, which is an album that uh really i think has grown in my estimation in the past few years. I wouldn't say that it you know it's it's um it's jumped to my favorite album of his or anything, but I, I think that uh it's it's stayed you know memorable and i think a, a third essential part of his catalog and I'm not sure that i i you know has what you know although all three of the albums of his uh so far i think have been you know memorable and if not essential then at least uh you know quite worthy in their own right but uh i'm, I'm not sure if i i has that even though i think that you know on its on its component level uh it is you know uh it, it is of quality and there are some you know songs that uh i i think you know rank among the more interesting things going on in India this year as, uh, an album, I, I don't, I, it doesn't seem to have the, the kind of core, you know, emotional, almost, it's sort of like, uh, synthesis or sim, like the, the, the component, the, the whole isn't exceeding some of its parts in a way that I think even 22 million did, and, uh, I, I think that, uh, I, I personally would like to see uh, Justin Vernon kind of do more experimenty stuff, sort of uh, because you know records like Volcano Choir and Big Red Machine, to me, even if they don't have maybe the density of ideas of a Bon Iver record, uh, have, you know, uh, sort of provide a space for the individual ideas to maybe be explored more fully with a smaller circle of collaborators, and that has with those two records put out uh this decade made some uh i think it was best music honestly
0: yeah i would agree that like this kind of comes off as um almost in that more experimental space like the big red machine or um oh what was that like i can't remember uh, volcano Choir. but then there was that other project that he had like Wood Wood Boys Choir or whatever whatever the name Fall of Creek, it. was. Uh, Fall Creek Boys Choir. Fall Creek Boys Choir. Thank you. Um, that was like more abstract and experimental. And yeah, like I mean, I, I I guess this is this is one of the things where it's like contextual preparation um can influence like how you feel about a record, right? Like if this had come out and been a big Red Machine record, or maybe or a Volcano Choir record or a Fall Creek Boys Choir record, I might have been. A little more lenient on it or a little bit more prepared for you know okay this is going to be kind of weird and abstract and experimental but like i guess it's one of these things where like as a musician when you are putting out these you know uh to use a to use the the current term i guess you know streams of content and you've labeled them differently you are sort of setting people's expectations in a particular way when you know a baldy veil record is supposed to be kind of the, at least to me, is supposed to be like where Justin Vernon is making his like big artistic statement. And, you know, is that a fault of mine for expecting that? Perhaps, perhaps. Um, but I also think he has given us that expectation. So, you know, uh, there, there's a debate you can have there.
1: Yeah, well, that's, I, I think, you know, it uh, at the moment for, for both of us, it remains to see where history leaves it, but it, it doesn't seem to stack up you know, wherever you you kind of internally rank with uh ultimately his his three uh
0: in their own way kind of indie classic releases. I would yeah, I would agree with that. It's it's definitely the least of his his records, um, at least that's Bonifao. And I would even venture to say that there are certain like other releases that he's done that I think are, are superior to this. But anyway, um so your guilty pleasure then, kind of like flipping this around
1: um i really struggled with coming up with a guilty pleasure this year partially because we haven't really been blessed with a playboy cardi album this year so <laughs> <ultimately>. <laughs> uh you know you're, you're
0: mean, a, you're a halfway decent future record no well uh
1: I, yeah i mean that that future hasn't really been, hasn't been throwing out the
0: the, the um I think the last the last good good future record was probably Beast Beast Mode two. I would say. Well, people people seem to like the wizard, but it, it really didn't. Too 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 long. Too too long. Didn't,
1: didn't do didn't do any. I totally you know up until this moment. I I don't I don't think I've listened to it since the day the the weekend it came out. But at any rate, uh, I um, I. Oof you know i i think i i can't i maybe as i, I will sort of uh throw out and uh, this is and this is you know both uh, an album that i think could rank on my honorable mentions if i was going to be less uh self you know recriminating but my guilty pleasure album is uh lcd sound systems uh uh electric lady sessions not that um You know, it's not necessarily bad. There's no, there's nothing problematic about it. But uh, it, you know, for considering how much of my listening time this year has been taken up by a live-in-studio kind of album by a band that you know I've listened, I have all their songs kind of memorized, uh, and uh, you know, it's pretty heavy on material from their fourth album, which I don't listen to that much. Uh, it it really it kind of it revealed to me how much I am just a fan of the kind of engineering and uh you know the the synth engineering, the drum patterning like whatever it's like James Murphy's Napoleon tendencies or something that I can i I just find myself writing or dying for because the the result of that is albums that you know just consistently whether they're uh you know kind of stitched together or live recordings uh sound amazing and are you know kind of uh very infectious good for all seasons and i do think it's worth listening to more uh kind of uh aggressive fuller versions of some of his tracks off uh his comeback album american dream uh, but maybe don't sort of uh use it as an excuse to put off listening to all the interesting new material
0: that's coming out Mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean i feel similarly and I, I mean i guess if you didn't really have like you know truly a, a guilty pleasure this year this is a, an interesting choice um yeah it is you know it is what it says on the label okay it's a live in studio uh, session of a set of recordings of previously released lcd sound system songs um does that sound like something you'd be interested in listening to if so uh the album will satisfy you i, I think um if not um probably won't um, I do think that it's interesting to hear some of these songs a bit raw and a bit um, more with a bit more punch to them, I guess. And one thing I will say is that I do think it like did reframe at least a couple of the songs from American Dream, which um, I recall I was less hard on than you were, if I, if I recall correctly. Um, so yeah, it definitely gave new life to a couple of those tracks that I was kind of eh air about before. But I do think that like if you were, if if the idea behind this album was Okay, we want to do raw recordings of some of our tracks. It is kind of perplexing that they went so heavy on the fourth album as opposed to, like, you know, giving us a, a raw rendition of, of some of the older classic tracks. Not to say that there aren't a couple mixed in there. Um, but overall, it's, you know, it's a, it's an interesting little experiment and, and one that uh, is, is pleasant to, to throw on. Um, so. Great
1: covers before we move on. I, I, I think it would be remiss if we didn't mention. Uh, great covers, and more Nancy Wang, which are two things that I I ultimately don't feel guilty about giving my
0: time to. That is also true. There is much more Nancy Wang on on this record than uh, I think on any of their uh, studio releases. So if you want more Nancy Wang in your life, and who doesn't really, um, then, you know, you should check out this one. Um, So my uh, number, uh, excuse me, my guilty pleasure then, um, is an album that is sort of a guilty pleasure by virtue of the fact that um, it's kind of a well, it's a very much a commercial confection um, and the approach of it um, is kind of a bit you know cynical, I suppose you could say. But it's, uh, but I think within that idiom it, it does pretty well. Um, and it's Late Night Feelings, um, the album, which is air quotes by Mark Ronson um, in the sense that he like produced all of it. Um, and had a hand in writing much of it, but it's kind of one of these records where it's it's basically a producer record, um, and you know it's different singers, mainly female lead vocalists um, on each track. Um, a lot of it is actually uh, sung by Michael Lee, so in a certain way, this is kind of a a stealth Michael Lee record if you want to think of it that way, with um, that Mark Ronson kind of d- disco soul throwback sort of production. Um, yeah, I mean, is this, like, a very complicated record? No, not really. It's kind of a lot of the, like, pop song, pop song, pop song. But they are really well-written, they're really well-constructed. And I do think that, like, you know, Ronson's um, at least sort of distinctive production style does give something to the record in terms of creating a thematic cohesion of what he's going for, you know, the idea of late-night feelings, you know, um, these feelings of loss and longing and, and all that kind of thing. Um, and within, you know, the context of, of pop music. Um, and it does give, like, a, you know, the similar sonic texture does give a, a, a coherence to the fact that you have all these different singers on the record. Um, you know, obviously, you know, there were a couple of big singles on this, off of this, uh, the biggest one being uh, Nothing Breaks Like a Heart, which is the Miley Cyrus feature, which, again, is, you know, pretty good. Um, yeah, overall, if you're in the market for some, like, you know, quick uh, pop songs that are... You know at least somewhat more mature lyrically and have at least uh you know a, a more depth of production and that kind of thing and are like generally speaking the uh songs are well chosen for the vocalists and that sort of thing um i think you will enjoy uh this one
1: yeah i um i enjoyed the the tracks that i heard from it i think there aren't some corners of online discourse. There seems to be a dislike for Mark Ronson. I, I, I think that might be a bit overblown. He, you know, it's not, he, it's not his fault that Uptown Funk was played 90 billion times, you know? Uh, and uh, I, I think I actually have just finished uh, reading, Meet Me in the Bathroom, the the kind of big compendium oral history of the, the 2000s uh, rock scene in New York. And it's really, uh, just Mark Ronson kind of sticks out as a weird figure, you know. Looking at his career, he he's just uh, refuses to kind of blow up and go pop, even though he he every few years he'll end up orchestrating like a huge, you know, international number one smash, and he just kind of uh, he, he's very hard to pin down. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and I, I will give he him maybe underappreciated. Yeah, and I will give him credit for at least like. You know, it's like you say with the success of Uptown Funk, like he could have very easily made a record that was, you know, 12 attempts to recapture Uptown Funk. And he didn't do that. This is like both thematically um, and also sonically, it is more restrained and again, that that theme of late night feelings. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I definitely give him credit for not like air quotes, you know, completely air quotes selling out in the way that he uh, that he definitely could have.
1: Yeah, well, I, and and just going back, I mean, you know, after uh after Back to Black, he he uh kind of went off the grid and did a bunch of like DJ stuff for years. I don't know, he's he's in, uh not maybe the most like you know adventurous or uncompromising musician out there, but I, I think maybe uh fascinating in terms of it in terms of a pop career mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, for sure all right so let's get into our albums. so um i didn't have any honorable mentions for the albums list. do you have any
1: yeah quick one uh that you know um not that it is necessarily better than some of the albums that are going to be in the attached track list or even, you know, a kind of sixth album. If I had to pick one gun to my head, it's uh, just an album uh, disqualified on the basis of being a live album, another live album. Uh, this case, proper uh, live with the crowd and everything. Uh, that's Deforming Lobes by Ty Siegel and the Freedom Band. And uh, this is, I, I think, one of the strongest, uh, at, or at, at least the most, you know, kind of essential if you're a fan of the artist and the. Kind of psych garage punk, with you know a bit of kind of sixties, uh, early seventies singer songwriter, some lighter you know kind of folkier moments. as uh, very versatile. But uh, this particular iteration of the Ty Seagull lineup, the the Freedom Band, are very much in the uh, like overdriven hard rock garage uh, punk with a psych. Uh, sort of a psychedelic flavor and this album which was uh, kind of done talking head style like they recorded that uh, three uh, three song residency three identical set lists uh, and flew Steve in to uh, mix the, 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 the album comes out uh, remarkably crisp remarkably little crowd noise and with all new arrangements of tracks that were previously uh, acoustic, uh, tracks that uh, previously, you know, were shorter or longer or had different structures. So it comes off as like a very thoughtfully conceived and tight, you know, nine track, 36 minute live album. So if you are a fan of uh, Ty Siegel or the OCs or uh, King Gizzard and you, uh, you know, uh, are haven't kind of dived into, the 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 OGs of that uh, kind of current uh, hyperproductive scene, then I would listen to it because it, uh, even though it's a live album, it's one of his better
0: releases. Mm. Well, hyperproductive is is definitely the right word for that the rock scene. Was it is, is is it's King Gizzard and the Wizard Wizard that are putting out like what is it six records this year? Or what?
1: Well, they 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 did that. That um, was last year. The... Uh, 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 they. they 2017. 2017 um, they together. They just put out their second album of the year. Uh, I'm, I mean, you know, it is apropos of nothing, and uh, you know, want to let us get to our top five. But I really, I, I, um, I've been kind of disappointed in the kids who have, uh, you know, the the who have adopted King Gizzard in, in large numbers and never really gravitated to the OCs and Ty Siegel. Who, I just think like they they have, uh, a much more there everything isn't a bit and it kind of makes me sad that um you know people aren't taking that kind of garage psych experimental rock legacy um with like without with like uh without piss taking it's it's a it's a shame because it is really uh just the in the fulfill like the 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 um productiveness of the scene kind of speaks to how much you can mine out of out of that, you know, uh, palette of sounds. Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess what I was going to say is just, like, this is one where there's so much material coming out of this scene, both from Ty Siegel himself, but also O.C.'s King Gizzard, that uh, I, I kind of got lost, and this one kind of got lost in the shuffle for me, this particular record. Um, but definitely, it's if it's, you know, one that you're recommending, I do trust you as a finner as a of authority on on uh, this uh, section of, of the musical underground, so certainly I would check this one out. All right, so your number five uh, album then. Yeah, so
1: my number five album is uh, Sharon Van Etten's Remind Me Tomorrow. Uh, it's an album that originally uh, I didn't take to at first when it came out. I was busy being uh, underwhelmed by the James Blake and Deer Hunter records that came out the same day. It took me a while to get over that because those were two of, you know, my, uh, really my favorite Artists in the last sort of 10 years of music, uh, making what I thought were you know not terrible, but ultimately mm-hmm. records that didn't do a lot for me. but then coming back to Sharon Van and a few months later, uh, it, it really it came across to me as her, her tightest record. And uh, although I do, I enjoy a lot of uh, the individual songs on uh, on Tramp and Are We There? I think that her kind of work with John Congleton on this record is uh, the cleanest, and the touches of uh, programmed drums and synths, and the kind of sidelining of both guitar and piano uh, make this record uh, just sort of stand out. Like I, it has a crispness and an atmosphere that I think hasn't she she hasn't really been able to leverage around her songs and uh 17 which uh you uh had you know kind of a great breakdown of why it stands out as maybe you know what what to many people her kind of this is her kind of clo- you know big blowout end of set song her you know and it it deserves to be that it's a great piece of work but uh for me the songs that uh stick out songs like uh Jupiter 4 and I want to say better better no no better better times uh no uh memorial day uh the sort of quieter uh more atmospheric songs uh were kind of exactly the step forward i think she needed to stand out more in the the kind of singer songwriter uh sphere that she operates in and i uh you know think that's backed by one of the most uh, expressive voices in that scene right now, both in terms of, you know, her her, uh, vocal performance, but also in terms of the the kind of real intense personal examination and uh, honesty that she, you know, brings to her music. So, you know, if you uh, are looking for a bit, you know, uh, a, a bit less kind of piano, guitar, a bit more of a sonically adventurous uh, but very direct confessional uh, singer-songwriter record. Uh, I, I think this is one of uh, the standouts.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I kind of uh, said a lot about the, the record overall and the, the lost recording, so let me try to recapitulate my, my opinions here. Um, I basically liked the record well enough overall, but it was a situation where I felt that Um, Seventeen just sort of like really stood out from the record to me and I felt that the rest of it, even though, like you say, sonically it was interesting in the sense of, you know, trying to make a almost classicist singer-songwriter record but without much guitar and without much um, traditional, like piano and without much traditional percussion was very interesting to me Um, and definitely, like, she's a great singer. Um, I guess overall it just... It was one of those things where one song was, like, so impactful to me that the rest of the record kind of fell on the wayside in comparison. Not to say that there weren't some other good tracks on there. You did shout out Memorial Day and Jupiter 4, which I think are um, some of the stronger, kind of more ballad type songs on the record. Uh, but overall, definitely a strong one. And I, I But I do feel like every time Sherry puts out a record, I always listen to it with interest. Um, And every time, like, there's always one or two tracks on the record that are, like, amazing. And if she could, like, consistently put out songs at that level, she would be, you know, amongst the top tier. But it's always, like, one those one or two amazing songs, and then the rest of them pretty good, but not up to the same level. And I guess, you know, you can't hit a grand slam every time kind of thing. Um, But overall, good record, and, and one that you should check out if you've liked her previously. All right. So... My number five then is, and I have no idea how I'm supposed to pronounce this band's name, um, I'm gonna go with Oso Oso. Um, I haven't uh, heard it actually said out loud, uh, but it's the new album by Oso Oso, um, Basking in the Glow. Um, So Oso Oso is kind of a product of uh, the recent kind of emo revival, post hardcore revival scene. Um, it's a mostly solo project by Jade Littry, who is kind of um, involved with, like, the Hotelier and Free Throw and that kind of, um, you know, Boston and, like, upstate New York kind of uh, scene. Um, but what I really liked about this record be like, you know, and I mean, I guess you could say, oh, well, you know, Code was always going to have, like, some emo revival record on his list. And you're probably right about that. Uh, but why this one stood out for me this year is I think it had a lot of energy. Um, I think it had a lot of. It's definitely on the punkier side of emo and more towards the post-hardcore side. Um, and I think what he manages to do is like even though the lyrical tropes here are pretty familiar, if you are, um, you know, if you are familiar with this kind of music, he really invests it with a lot of art, a lot of like real energy and a lot of real commitment. And I also think that the fact that like this is mostly a solo project. Um, Allows him to vary the tones a little bit more. You have some songs here that even though they are like, you know, uh, pretty simplistic, like not simplistic, but pretty straightforward, like three chord basher kind of thing. He plays it acoustically, um, which kind of like gives at least some interesting variety to the record. Um, Overall, not a very complex record for sure. And definitely if you're less into this sort of music than I am, I could see you maybe not grooving with it. Um, But for me, Another successful example of um, this sort of revival scene, um, and definitely an artist that you know was not on my radar previously within it, uh, but is one that I'm going to keep an eye out for moving forward.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't managed to get to that yet. It's it's quite a recent release at the the time of our recording, but it's it's uh, downloaded on my phone, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to diving into it. Uh, it's you know kind of been a few interesting new voices in rock this year but not one to kind of scratch that particular itch so uh
0: really looking forward to that project sure all right so your number four yeah
1: so my number four record is one that just kind of insisted uh on its place here and maybe if uh, I was at, you know, kind of a different arc with it, you know, might uh, play slightly higher or not make the list at all, and that's titled the Creator's Igor, which to me is by far and away the best project he's made. I I, I did enjoy Flower Boy, but I, I think it didn't have it, it, you know, just kind of listening, putting them side by side, it doesn't have the momentum, the consistency and um the, the kind of a emotional uh the the uh, emotional energy it kind of just brings forward to the listener I, I i you know i i think part of this might be you know everyone loves uh a face turn that you know tyler kind of growing into this uh more mature uh more thoughtful uh artist and really kind of bringing trying to bring forward a more uh you know a, a more kind of like solidified apolitical but you know life-loving queer voice into mainstream hip hop like it's it's a kind of a difficult story to root against but uh the album itself i I think really carries a torch for that it it uh is you know total in terms of the kind of uh synth porn that is you know made itself uh floated around mainstream rap since, uh, kind of the the first wave of trap, I think that, uh, you know, we haven't really seen artists really kind of push uh, or push themselves to deliver like a really, uh, really engaging palette of sounds uh, that that just kind of, that don't stay static, that don't uh, just kind of give the structure of a track and then just, you know, let the artist do their thing. Like, uh, I think that, you know, in his own way he's making the argument for himself as if not, you know, the one of the successors to Kanye's legacy of fusing a kind of spirit like of, of art, rock and pop into hip hop sounds and delivering it in a kind of aesthetically and emotionally uh you know, uh like organized package and uh like hats off. I think that it definitely, you know, kind of, I, I, I can see kind of not being particularly, uh, you know, I can see not understanding the hype if uh, you're someone who really, uh, who kind of either misses what he was doing in his more kind of traditional albums, or someone who really kind of values a bit more abstraction, and, uh, you know, kind of a. I don't want to say like darkness, like grim darkness, but sort of a a less, uh, like find it too saccharine. I can see someone uh, finding it too saccharine and feeling a bit left out from the hype, but I think uh, as, you know, kind of again a, you know, 10 track, 36 minute project, it really delivers on what it promises and uh, uh, is such a kind of easy, compelling lesson. It would be difficult not to uh,
0: list it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is one that just missed my my albums list, and I think I I basically agree with everything that you said, um, and I definitely think it's if not his best release necessarily, it's definitely his most consistent and his most like unified release and it's definitely his release that has the le- least amount of like fat or filler on it as you said um it is within this legacy of sort of shorter hip-hop albums so in that way it's almost like taking a page from his uh former i, I guess they're still i don't know is on future still a thing who knows but there is certainly his compatriot um, Earl sweatshirt and some of the work that he's been doing with these kind of like more <coughs> short um to the point, um, well, maybe not to the point necessarily, but short and thematically uh, contained hip hop records. Um, and in that sense, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and deb- at and certain points, it almost isn't even hip hop. Like, there's definitely parts of this that come off more as like indie synth wave kind of stuff or um, synth pop or things like that. And he's doing a little bit more singing. Um, Than rapping in a lot of parts. Definitely there is still some, you know, rap inputs and, and rapping going on. Um, but so in that sense, it's a very interesting record. I think where it just misses my list slightly is that I feel that um, the songwriting does get lost occasionally within that sonic texture. Um, I can't necessarily pull individual tracks out of this and say, like, you know, this is a great, a great track. There definitely, there are some moments in there where it's, like, uh, an interesting beat switch-up or just an interesting kind of, you know, sonic piling of different elements. Um, and definitely, like, thematically, um, you know, as, as you said, this, this has been a long, strange journey for Tyler, Ty the creator, and here... It is probably his most, um... Uh, maybe his least, I suppose, like, actively trolling you uh, uh, release, and, like, his it's his most... Um, lyrically i suppose straightforward or um, at least his most lyrically you know his most thematically um okay i'm actually saying what i mean i'm not you know doing stuff for a gag or because i think it's funny or because like lol aren't you mad like that kind of thing um so i definitely think that if you're somebody who was maybe bothered by that content on previous um title the Creator records this one might appeal to you more even though sonically it's quite a bit different um But overall, one that just missed my list, but I definitely think it's worth uh, worth a listen. Okay, Um, so my number four, then, is Young Enough by Charlie Bliss. Um, So previously, uh, Charlie Bliss, their album Guppy, from a couple years ago, um, I thought was, you know, the kind of definition of that phrase, promising first album, um, showed a lot of interesting influence from both, like, 80s synth rock, but then also 90s alt rock, kind of a weird fusion of the two that I think really worked on some tracks, but then didn't really fully cohere across the whole record. I will be honest and say that um, this one is a bit similar. I don't think it's a consistent playthrough, like every single song is amazing, but I do think that it's, you know, it, the <coughs> the songwriting is uh, definitely better and more consistent than their first record. And in terms of the sonics, they've definitely upgraded it in terms of the punch and the immediacy of both the synth 80s stuff, uh, but then also the kind of, like, grungy or guitar bass kind of stuff. And you have some really great tracks on here, like, uh, you know, the opener, blowing to Bits, is really good. Um, the Chat Room, which was the single. Um, so you have a lot of songs here that kind of deal with um, things like abuse, emotional manipulation, um, all that kind of thing, and it's really packed into these kind of really you know, catchy, memorable songs um, that use a lot of parts for both indie and also alt, more above-ground stuff um, from previous decades, but kind of reconfigure them um, into this new and interesting package. I still don't think that they're like a top-tier band, because... Um, there are a few tracks on here where I'm like, yeah, good while it's playing, but not really memorable. Um, and I do think that they could stand to maybe make the the Sonic identity a little bit more unified. Um, here, lyrically, I think they are trending more towards a, a more consistent set of themes that they're hitting on as compared to the first record. But sonically, it is still a little bit more fractious in a way. Um but overall, I think a band that's showing that a lot of promise and that is doing some interesting um, evolutions of their sound, and as far as like um, you know, memorable, catchy indie rock this year, um, they were they were definitely up there. So, uh, "Young Enough" by Charlie Bliss.
1: Yeah, this is an album that uh, kind of struck me as uh, of quality, uh, especially if you are. Into uh, a, a kind of um, a more poppier textures with a uh, coming from, you know, uh, an, an indie rock kind of uh, vocal style and, and you know, just kind of song structure. Uh, just not one that uh, kind of stuck with me as the year went on, but definitely something worth checking out. For sure.
0: All right, so you're number three then. So my number three
1: is an album that, again, didn't really jump out at me at first listen, but has just kind of grown as the year has gone on, especially in this long, uh, hot summer. And that's uh, Billy Woods' new album, Hiding Places. And Billy Woods is uh, a kind of uh, a real veteran of the New York underground scene. He's been putting out albums for almost two decades now. I'm sort of new... Uh, admittedly to his fandom I listened to some tracks he put out in the the mid-teens the mid-2010s but I wasn't kind of an evangelist for his sound until I listened to the two records he's put out recently with Arm & Hammer that last year's Paraffin and 2017's Rome uh, he put out in collaboration with Elucid and was just blown away by uh, how you know the kind of Uh, classic New York underground, you know, kind of like psychedelic boom bap mixed with uh, sort of uh, street lyrics, but also dark humor, uh, more conceptual stuff was uh, kind of updated, brought into the modern world and uh, allowed to kind of explore uh, new sounds, new uh, technology and production, new like our contemporary Uh, themes of, you know, uh, contemporary issues, and that's really what Hiding Places excels at. It's really an album about feeling just kind of like victimized by the world of seeing all the different levels of power and, uh, you know, refusing to give in to despair, but kind of withdrawing of writing off the world and existing in kind of your own you know, nightmare universe uh, trying to, you know, hide in the shadows or, or you know, just kind of uh, exist on the margins. And uh, I think he's, you know, writing some of the best one-liners uh, or, you know, kind of like thematic jumps in hip-hop right now. His, uh, the production from Kenny Siegel is uh, lights out across the board, really kind of diving into Um, you know surprisingly very kind of unprocessed organic instruments but then just drowning them in huge amounts of space and kind of atmospheric uh, kind of sound collage and it's it's really unsettling uh, instantly memorable and uh, one of the and and again uh, uh, you know just sort of 40 minutes tight 11 tracks one of uh the uh best hip-hop records uh
0: uh that's come out in sort
1: of the last uh few years for me
0: Mm. well i have to be honest and say that this one completely uh passed me by and i am kind of disappointed about that because i did on your recommendation from last year um check out the arm and hammer album paraffin and i quite enjoyed it and um, if this is along the same lines of that kind of Dusty instrumentals mixed with, you know, lyrics about alienation and uh you know, flaying relationships and, you know, political um you know, political alienation, I suppose. Then definitely it sounds like one that I, I should uh, look into, but I haven't I honestly didn't even know it came out. So so there you go. You learn you learn we we all learn things through this podcast. Um so my number three then, and I guess it does a, a little bit similar in terms of creating a, a sonic atmosphere. And I think this is the album for me that i um, had that going for it the most this year. Um, is Gray and Gold, uh, the new album by Baroness. Um, and so this album, so Baroness, um, you know, long-standing. Uh, so I guess you'd say metal, but they're they're trending well hard rock metal. It's within that space. They've kind of moved more um, in the direction of hard rock as they as they've gone on, um, but definitely still has a a metal edge to them um, so all their albums are uh, named after colors and this is a, yeah, another album that's named after a color so their previous album purple um, was one that a lot of longtime fans sort of were disappointed by they felt the band was going soft a little bit moving towards too much uh, being radio friendly uh, some even called it their version of Metallica's black album I think that might be a little overstating the case um, but anyway, so this new record had a lot of expectations behind it. Now, you know, you're going to find some people that were still disappointed in this record, some people that really liked it. I'm on the opposite side. I, I really enjoyed this record. I think the reason it came back to, for me, <coughs> was the fact that when you have a metal record like this, it has to be produced really, really well. And they, this is produced so well in terms of the clarity of the instruments, in terms of the, the real force of the percussion and the rhythm section, and just the this idea of like the band really playing together as a cohesive unit. You um, know, all the guitar solos are great, and they're, and they're not only are they great in like a technical sense, but they're not just sort of flashy. They're really integrated into the meat of these songs, and you can tell that not only are these uh, these guys really, uh, you know adept musicians are also really great songwriters, and I think that's the distinction that really separates them from a lot of the other metal bands that are out there, is that they really do think about songs, not just sonics, right? And, you know, you have a lot of um, songs on this record that do kind of use different elements. You have some synths on here, you have some acoustic guitar passages, and it really does remind me of those, like, old classic Metallica records where... You know, a lot of it was that kind of like rhythmic, you know, chuck, 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 chunk, um kind of hitting you in the face thing. But they knew enough to space that out with like wow. acoustic passages, with the quiet moments, with the, you know, the head, the dropping out of instruments and that kind of thing to really make uh, the, those moments of explosion and real, powerful, uh, real power all the more impactful on you as the listener. Um, You know, lyrically speaking, you know, it's the standard kind of stuff. We, you know, there's some fantasy type of elements. There's some, um, you know, general kind of like uh, triumph over adversity kind of stuff. Um, But I do think, you know, if you know the history of this band and you know what they've been through, both in terms of losing members and uh, their lead singer was involved in a car accident several years ago and that kind of thing. um, There is a bit more personality to it and a bit more personal investment in these themes that you might get from somebody who's, you know, talking about this and purely... Um, abstract or storytelling way um yeah so a record that i just felt was the most impactful on that pure sonic level for me this year
1: yeah this was a record that um on on first listen i will admit not diving in too deeply impressed me just in terms of uh the variety of different elements br- they were kind of bringing into play and the 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 clear Kind of thought that had gone into you know structuring songs of uh, structuring an album. So if you're you're interested in that that you know kind of uh, less uh, less extreme you know a metal that kind of veers away from you know death or doom towards uh, like a, a more richer more sort of classic instrumental palette but still with you know uh very sharp production very forward-thinking songwriting uh check out uh
0: yeah all right so your number two then
1: my number two record is a record that
0: i think is going to be fairly
1: divisive for us because uh i um uh i i uh i sense that it, it didn't kind of do for you what it did for me and that's vampire weekend's father of the bride i think this is Really been a controversial album, you know, in the the broader kind of uh, music community that that follows uh, bands of their ilk, uh, with some thinking that it, you know, it kind of uh, it, it lacks the 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 kind of consistency and the immediacy and the the, the stickiness of um, you know kind of Rostam's production, and it's a bit too long. It has too many kind of fragment uh, songs. And I, I kind of, I, I, I totally see why that could be the, the takeaway or the conclusion that someone's comes to about the record, and as a consequence, they feel left down. I, uh, on the other hand, you know, just haven't been able to get this album out of my head since it came out. I, I, and this is, you know, uh, something I have to confess as, you know, probably a bit too much of a fan of uh, Ezra Kanin and listening to his podcast and stuff, I I kind of uh, was primed for uh, an album that very consciously kind of took simplicity uh, in, you know, kind of indie songwriting and put it back at the forefront, you know, a band that, uh, whether or not you necessarily kind of uh, agree that it, it really hit the mark for you, is clearly trying to reach for the heights of, you know, uh, you know, people would say Grateful Dead, but I, I, think you know, uh, the the Beatles are also a big kind of touchpoint influence for this album, in how it it kind of um commits to a very unfussy, un uh almost you know uh cloyingly simple and direct kind of or, or orchestral guitar pop, but the way that it takes that form and then layers in uh themes of growing older, of finding your place uh in a world where you don't have anything left to prove, and also coming to grips with uh with climate change, with uh wealth inequality, and, you know, finding love and maintaining it through uh these, you know, great forces of history that are moving around us. I, I think and not to be that person who just kind of, you know, puts on a tinfoil hat or pulls their hair out and is like, oh man, you know, I just think people aren't getting it. I think that, again, whether or not the kind of conscious uh, move towards Simplicity ultimately works for you, and I, I don't think it has to, I think that it, it is an album that given uh, time and space and kind of attention to... um you know, kind of the placement of songs in consideration of uh, even some of the, the shorter, more fragmented songs like Big Blue or 2021, that the emotional, that the themes that the record is playing with are uh, are quite substantive and, and quite relevant. And at least to me personally, it, it was refreshing to have them taken on in a way that was, uh, trying to fit them within the realm of, you know, a confection, a pop song, something that can be, you know, enjoyed as a, as a bop, but also uh, having that, you know, thematic and emotional heft behind it. So uh, I guess this is, it's my, my five minute feel. I think that, that this is, you know, worthy. Um, I kind of liken this to a very, you know, this is uh, kind of the, uh, although not, you know, as seminal or as influential as a band, but this is, you know, their their Velvet Underground without John Cale, you know, we're in Lou Reed mode now, and some people for some people that was, you know, a big deal, that really kind of changed the the later their the later Velvet Underground material in their estimation because it was more of kind of a Lou Reed songwriting venture, but uh, I guess for me, that that is ultimately by far and away my, my favorite Velvet Underground material. So that just kind of speaks to, you know, my preferences, my soft spots. And uh, I think in the tradition of albums like Loaded, like the White Album, uh, it, 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 uh, it shoots for that. And while I wouldn't necessarily put it in the canon of those albums, number one, we have to see how time treats it. And number two you know on on first estimation it doesn't hit those heights of quality but it it meant a lot to me that a band in 2019
0: uh was still trying Mm -hmm. so i think what i'll what i'll say about this record is that you know i'll I'll say the things i liked about it first so i definitely give them points for ambition um like you say the idea that you are going to make this pretty expansive record where not only is it Uh, lengthy in terms of the time, but it really is in that white album style, trying to do, you know, a bunch of different styles of music, um, you know, with varying degrees of success, and some of them are these kind of little snippets and things like that. But nevertheless, you know, an ambitious kind of, like, buffet of of a record almost. And, And I will also say that, you know, for a band that got kind of pigeonholed, in my opinion, unfairly, as kind of this, oh, it's this bunch of, like, preppy white guys, uh, kind of whipping off like uh quasa music and like, you know, singing about, you know, the problems of like Columbia students, right? Um, they are trying to address like some real themes on this record like climate change, like um wealth and racial inequality and, and that kind of thing. So you know, and however successfully they do that is debatable, but nevertheless I do think it's it's at least admirable that they're going for that within the context of these songs. And also that they're trying to on this record, like revive some stuff that's pretty deeply unhip, right? Like, there's a big Wakeful Dead influence, that Jam Man kind of 60s thing going on on this record. Um, and there is kind of a, of a, of a general kind of, I guess I would say, hippie ish kind of vibe uh, to the record in terms of the, the themes about love and acceptance and, and that kind of thing. Um, I guess I'll put it this way in terms of why this doesn't make my list, even though I think it. You know, overall, is it a good record? Yes, it's just one that didn't connect with me quite as much. And here's why I think it is: I think if you look at this compared to Modern Vampires of the City, um, what is you know Modern Vampires of the City to me? That is like the ultimate post-college record, and I think it was for a lot of people because both the the kind of I mean, even even the cover of the album, but just like the both lyrically in terms of like the subject matter where it's talking about you know. Um, you know, being estranged from your friends and moving to a strange new city and, like, these weird kind of, uh, these kind of existential conversations that you have with people and, you know, when you both had a couple of beers kind of thing. And, you know, it is kind of on this level of, like, bullshit philosophy, but there is something there, I think. Um, And then also, you know, sonically, it was this kind of, like, urban kind of sound in a way that I can't quite define, but just, you know, it feels like uh, waking up in a city kind of thing. Like when I put that record on, then the first thing that hits you um, is the the you know the the it's almost like a clock ticking on and you know, the first lyric is that uh, thing about the LED hitting your eyes in the morning. Um, you know, I think that there's that there's a, a kind of totality to that record. This one really feels to me like a new father record or that kind of like, settling down-ish kind of record and you know ultimately you know I guess I I just relate to it less and like it doesn't quite connect with me on that emotional level and then sonically it is whether you want to attribute it to Rostum not being there or just the approach that they were taking um, it is a bit less hard-edged I guess I don't even know if that's the right word but it's a bit less it's a bit more fuzzy it's a bit more pillowy cushiony and I don't know what quite the right word is but it comes off as a little bit less defined in terms of the songwriting and a little bit less focused. Because even though Modern Vampires in the City had a lot of different things going on, you know, in terms of the variety of the songs and how they sounded, what their approach was, you know, you had everything from like a doo type of take, like Step, to a, uh, you know, some pretty straight ahead indie rock like Unbelievers, to, um, you know, kind of Coral influence on Obvious Bicycle and things like that. Um, this one, it feels a little less of a piece, um, to me at least. Um, nevertheless, do I think this is a record that's worth listening to? Yes, and I definitely think that a lot of people came away with different impressions of this record, which I think you know, speaks to um, you know, the ability that uh, Vampire Weekend do have to you know, generate conversation. And I think you know, in, in this day and age when you know, a band can just drop a record and do that, I think they are doing something right um was this exactly what i wanted for vampire weekend no um but do i think it's the record that they wanted to make for the most part yes don't know if you have further comment
1: um no i mean i i don't i don't want to make this the the father of the bride podcast just to uh highlight Uh, I think that this is an album that, you know, if you tried once and you felt intimidated by it, uh, try throwing it on, try treating it like, you know, even if you don't, say, have the physical product, like it is a double LP, even though it just scrapes under an hour and listen to, you know, kind of do, listen to the first half, listen to the second half, you know, it's something that not, I think, sometimes... uh, you know kind of people who come from a rock or an indie rock background uh can you know kind of throw their hands up at a a uh at a longer album that uh is just kind of um comes off as a bit kind of incoherent or samey uh but this is one where i think that the the kind of individual memorableness the, the, that there is the, the, there's something, even the more minor sketchy songs. And this is why I, I kind of use I use the, the Beatles comparison not lightly, um, that uh, even the kind of smaller sketchier songs end up lodged somewhere in there uh, when you kind of give them the space.
0: No, that's that's very fair. Um, so my uh, number two album is I think a bit on the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, as far as the, the maybe not the ambition, but maybe the approach taken, um, is the new album by Florist, uh, Emily Alone. Um, so, well, Florist um, was this project that was a, a full band project, um, but the main figure of the band was, this, uh, was Emily Sprague. And she's also done some kind of solo-ish type of records, uh, more experimental electronic music um, over the last couple of years. But Florist Put out a couple of records, and I thought they were like okay indie folk, a little bit too... uh, I found them a little bit too cutesy and a little bit too affected, in my opinion, to really connect with. But this new one, I mean, the reason it's called Emily Alone is because it's literally Emily Alone. Um, So it's uh, both, you know, sonically and and lyrically. So basically what happened is uh, the band kind of broke up, people went their separate ways... Uh, Emily Sprague uh, moved out to the West Coast, and she basically recorded this like you know Bon Iver in the cabin style, just right into a tape deck type of thing. Um, so, or you know the early Waxahachie recordings, or, or something like that. And you know, again, longtime listeners might know that this is also uh, you know we we have uh, every year the uh, the Carter's entry and the I don't know Sad Girl singing into a cassette recorder, um, uh, Lane. Um, and this is the the one for this year, but I do think that there is something that that's very interesting about this record, um, because it it has a real warmth and a real intimacy to it that um, ultimately you know really gets across to me. And I think it really did reveal to me what I didn't particularly like about the previous Forest records was that um, you know even though lyrically wise this isn't that different than what they were doing before or what she was doing before, depending on how you want to frame that um, the the approach that's taken here with the close micing, with the like intimacy of the setting, really brings forward that vulnerability and that sense of, you know, I really need to get this out there. And it becomes a little less affected and a little less twee and more um, kind of immediate and kind of impactful for that reason. Um, again, is this is a very particular lane of music. If you don't like this sort of thing, it might come off as a bit boring or a bit savey to you. I will give it credit in that it is fairly brief and doesn't overstay its welcome, which I think is um, another thing that uh, this, you know, genre, if we want to call it that, is often very good at. It does embrace that idea of brevity as the soul of wit. Um, And I think, you know, what she's doing on this record is really trying to convey this sense of loss and the sense of displacement um, from the perspective of somebody both professionally and personally who was going through a lot of that, Um, in her career, in her personal life. And I think uh, it really came across to me. And this, you know, if if the Baroness record was the album that had the most sonic impact on me this year, um, this was the record that had the most direct emotional impact on me this year so far. So, Emily Alone by Flores.
1: Yeah, this was an album, I think, very similar to um, this year, last year's, or was it 2017's? julian baker's uh kind of label debut uh oh turn out, out the lights turn out the lights yeah, yeah that um was an album that uh, i kind of didn't really come back to after the first listen just because i kind of um i it it uh it you know carries a uh, the the material just kind of it carries such a, a, a you know kind of a continuous emotional potency that it's something that I kind of have to, you know, stash off for break in case of, you know, emergency. <laughs> um, I I've been, uh,
0: but it's a record that I hope I return to before the end
1: of the year. Okay, right on. All
0: right, so it comes down to this: your number one for the first half of yeah. twenty nineteen.
1: So my my number one album, and
0: uh, it is an
1: album that, you know, I, I think ultimately uh, I I could you know uh very easily put have put vampire weekend in the slot but uh, by on the basis of uh th- th- this album being kind of a new voice and an effort i think is ultimately more consistent uh it it gets the nod for me in kind of a milder milder six months and that's uh the new Wise Blood album uh, titanic rising and this is uh kind of very similar uh, in a way, to Vampire Weekend in that it, you know, is a very nostalgic record taking, you know, people have compared it to kind of the, the Laurel Canyon folk pop scene. And I think there is, you know, there is a um, a kind of, like, digital age uh, Joni Mitchell thing going on, at least in the commitment to kind of more uh abstract or moody like arrangements within the you know a, a more traditional context like hey, it wouldn't be you know it's not a uh, it's not as kind of patient and stripped down as like a carol king record or something you know in the in the vein of if we're talking kind of that you know early 70s um songwriter stuff and what what strikes out to me uh, is just the the quality of the songwriting both in terms of you know uh but lyrics and delivery uh the the lyrics and the the kind of way it 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 matches the arrangements uh just sort of immediately jumped out to me i it was an album that i think that the vocals uh the vocal performance kind of left me uh i think cold at moments initially she does have like a very uh distinctive voice And maybe just as I got more used to it, it kind of cemented itself as an as you know again a fairly like a tight, uh, consistent album with some of the most knockout tracks of the year. Uh, Whether it's you know the way that uh, movies or everyday kind of uh, sort of transition into instrumental swells in their back half or the uh atmosphere that's brought forward in the kind of at the, the sort of beginning and ending of the record. It uh it sort of has a manages to marry, you know, these very familiar kind of uh emotionally warm elements of songwriting with a very kind of like sharply developed uh kind of sense of the surreal of transitioning into uh it's it, you know kind of a, a new era of history of on of you know examined space uh and uh in that way i think it it really marries the kind of the the, the thematic material that uh she's playing with on the record i i it's it's a record that You know, just saying Define 2019, I don't think this necessarily defines a a lot of people's 2019 sonically, but in terms of a record that kind of marries a very full, well-developed, well-considered sound with uh, sharp lyrics. And uh, I think the thematic concerns or maybe personal journey that a lot of us are are facing, trying to kind of find a, a, a sense of the future within ourselves that, that we can kind of, that, that we can create as a path forward that we can, you know, understand, uh, you know, how w- we can see ourselves, you know, kind of uh, keeping, you know, who we were, uh, you know, 10 years ago and how that is, is, is going to change moving forward. I don't know. It's heavy stuff, man. I don't want to drift off there, but it really, uh, I, you know, I can see why, uh, this album might not have done, uh, you know, topped anyone's list. Uh, the the vocals, I think, uh, can be a bit of, uh, you know, not super affected, but can be, uh, you know, maybe a bit of a, you know, kind of taste. And uh, although it, you know, it does have kind of very adventurous song structures and and uh, full arrangements, it's maybe not as adventurous as some kind of more uh, abstract or arty singer-songwriter records, uh, Julia Holter or something. Uh, that being said, uh, because of its you know consistency and it, it, its clarity, uh, it, it is really the element spoke to me
0: most so far this year. So I think this is one where I gave it an initial listen or two. It didn't really grab me, but on the basis of you know, what you've said to me both here and, and all, uh, elsewhere, and also other things I've read, I think this is one that I really do need to give another uh, chance or two too um, because yeah like all the elements are there of something that I really should respond to like I you know I love Jody Mitchell it does have that Laurel Canyon feel I guess if I had to pinpoint a reason why I don't think it quite clicked with me it might have just been where I was at the time and just the the lyrical themes or the approach she's taking to it didn't quite hit me uh, but if I had to pinpoint one thing I think it probably would be the vocals it is as you say uh, the singing do, did come off to me as a little bit affected and a little bit less than, like, with this kind of music, the Laurel Canyon stuff, um, especially, you know, Carol King and, and those people, it really was about this kind of, like, almost flat directness, whereas this comes off as a little bit more theatrical, and I get that that's what she's trying to, like, mash up and, like, put it in this more, you know, th- thematically-based context, I suppose, and a little bit more theatrical, but... Um, but, I don't know, it, it just didn't really quite work for me at the time, but this is one where, you know, I, I do think I need to give it another another listen. Alright, so speaking of uh, where we are in 2019, quote-unquote, um, my number one record of the year is an album that I think does the best job about, like, really t- talking about, like, the issues... Um, that are on people's minds in, in 2019, but doing it in a way that's not, like, hitting you over the head obvious um, and really plays to the strengths of the people involved. Um, and then my number one weapon of the year is the self-titled, I guess you'd say, debut uh, by Better Oblivion Community Center, um, who is, of course, a side project or collaborative project, however you want to put that, of Connor Oberst, uh, who many of you probably know as Bright Eyes, um, and then Phoebe Bridgers, um, who probably is best known at this point would be one-third of Boy Genius. Um, so, yeah, so the reason I really responded to this record is because I think it is, like, it is a singer-songwriter album in a lot of ways, but even though both, and it's really interesting, because even though both of uh, Connor O'Boost and Phoebe Bridgers are kind of most known as, like, confessional singer-songwriters really talking about themselves and their own lives and the... Um, you know, the the emotional struggles that they're going through. Here, what they've really done is written a series of songs about, like, kind of abstract observations about the world or character studies or um, really songs that are all about power and dislocation, and they really play the role of the kind of, like, detached but at the same time engaged observer in what's going on. So there's, you know, songs about watching you know, the European refugee crisis on uh, TV and feeling completely powerless to stop anything or to do anything about it. There's songs about, like, uh, being in a bar and, like, watching people argue about politics and, you know, seeing that there's this inevitability to um, the way things are going, but you can't, you don't really feel like you have the power to intervene and do anything. Um, So it's a lot of that, that real tension of, like, the the moment of observation but in that moment um really feeling sort of powerless about it and if that sounds like really you know abstracted and really depressing to you um in a way it sort of is but the way that they manage to convey it through these like pretty subtle character portraits through these um kind of many of which are like in the first person um but you know nevertheless very clearly about okay this is a situation um like you know i'm this woman at this service station on the highway, or that kind of thing, and that really also speak to both, um, you know, contemporary political and social concerns, but then also harken back to, you know, traditional themes within um, American folk and uh, and blues music and things like that. Um, and on top of all of that, they do a really good job about, you know, having a real sonic variety to these songs. So you have some songs that are these kind of like what you might expect from an album like, you know, Conor of and Phoebe Bridgers, what's that going to sound like? Well, you probably would think, okay, it's going to be a lot of acoustic guitar ballads. And yeah, there's definitely some on here. Um, the first song, I didn't know what I was in for. Um, was you know definitely like that but then you have a song like Dylan Thomas which is this kind of country rock number you have a song like um, Service Road um, which again is more laid back but then you also have some songs like Exception to the Rule which uh, is really kind of uses a synth uh, line to really drive the whole thing and I think that they do a really good job about like combining their best strengths you really do get this sense of um, this not just as like, oh, Connor Robos wrote some songs and Phoebe Bridgers wrote some songs. I mean, I don't know if that's what happened, but it really feels like a set of songs that they wrote as a collaborative unit That uh, and that they broke down, okay, I'm going to sing this part and you're going to sing this part and we're going to harmonize here. It really has almost the feeling of those classic, um, you know, somebody I know that uh, Connor Robos does take a lot of inspiration from, those classic uh, Graham Parsons and Emory Harris kind of uh, male-female duet vocals. Um, yeah, just a record that I thought um, really surprised me, even though I was like, okay, yeah, like on um, Connor new project, okay, I'll look into this. Uh, but it really surpassed my my expectations, and uh, for that reason, along with um, everything that it manages to do, both sonically and lyrically, I would say, uh, the self-title by Menorable Bean Community Center. Yeah, this is
1: an album that multiple people who uh, in addition to yourself whose taste I really respect have kind of marked it as one of the standouts of the year for them and while i I can't necessarily say that uh for myself it's very clearly a um a you know an, an effective team up between two very strong voices in songwriting and uh it's Um, definitely kind of elevated by the fact that it's not just sort of an exercise in, uh, you know, kind of uh, mood or, you know, kind of just linking up the voices and throwing stuff at a wall, but, you know, a very, uh, very assured uh, kind of side project or collaborative album in terms of its, you know, content and construction. So definitely an album that came out earlier in the year that should be forgotten as we kind of round the uh the the more well, more than the halfway mark now, but as we kind of move into the uh, the the last big boom
0: season of releases. For sure, for sure. All right, well that uh leads us to the end of the list. I do want to um very briefly if you have any quick mentions of, of records that you're looking forward to um, for the rest of the year, if you have any quick mentions there we should get those off our chest.
1: Yeah, well,
0: um, in no
1: particular order, I'm sure we're both looking forward to Danny Brown's new record, to Grimes' new record, uh, whatever that turns out as, uh, to uh, Charlie XCX's new record, Angel Olsen's new record, Um, that uh, just came out, uh, we've both been enjoying, but maybe came out too recently to be talked about on this, uh, on on the podcast, is Jay Som's uh, new record, uh, which uh, I think we, we've both been enjoying. Um, Vince, uh, you know, will will probably be out by the time the listeners are hearing this. But uh, Vince Staples and Brock Hampton are both dropping some kind of music uh, before the end of the month, so uh, we'll we'll have that to look forward to. Um, I mean, there is. There's a, a fair amount. I mean,
0: uh, allegedly, a Chromatics album should be coming up this year. Uh, al- al- allegedly, I think we've been I, saying I, that I, every I, year since we started doing this.
1: Yeah. Well, I really, um, I, uh, I saw, uh, I saw Chromatics this year, and uh, it, it was, you know, a wonderful show. And I was, uh, I was kind of uh, taken aback by the lack of new material. So we'll see really see how that how that works out uh but but that would obviously be a a nice development um i uh, i'm sure if we pulled up a a list there there are some more records we're forgetting but but those uh, are the ones that kind of uh, oh big thief is releasing their second album of the year uh and and uh i really enjoyed the 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 lead single coming off of that Bat um, for Lashes, coming back after a, a bit of a hiatus, um, that's certainly an intriguing project. Um, we are, uh, I, I think, uh, my my underground pick, uh, my, my, my Dark Horse pick that I think is going to jump out or introduce an artist who was previously maybe inaccessible for a lot of people is uh, Jenny Vall uh just kind of a norwegian conceptual art popist. uh people who you know uh read pitchfork obsessively will probably have come into contact with
0: her yes so her, her last know. record was about be being a lady vampire or something yeah
1: the new one uh, her new record is probably her most kind of straightforward and poppiest and it, it kind of it um It's a really interesting mixture of baroque art pop and kind of cutting edge digital production uh, without uh, sort of being overwhelmed by you know abrasiveness or theme or anything so that that I think is going to be my kind of. uh, uh, album that might turn on an artist that people previously. Did not really buy with or found inaccessible uh,
0: onto their music this year. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I agree with all those picks that you mentioned. I do have a couple more. Um, in addition to our uh, traditional uh, What Is New Tommy coming out, we uh, of course have to add our uh, What Is Basicism coming out, the, the new Sky Ferreira record, which could, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get both this year because Sky Ferreira has put out some some new material, uh, both a solo track. Which uh, I, I thought was okay. A lot of people hated it. Um, and also um, that new song she just put out with Charlie XCX. Um, and then the other one that I would mention, um, not that I I mean, you know, I have sort of mixed feelings on this artist like a lot of people do, but the, the new La Del Rey episode is coming out uh, within a couple weeks. Um, and I have like the uh, the singles off of that, so yeah,
1: I'm interested uh, I'm interested in that one as well. I think uh, I'm I'm very ready for- Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: in, the, in the, I the second act mm-hmm. for sure alright well uh, I thank uh, Isaac for being here with me I thank you uh, for listening um, we will try to reconstruct something of the of the tracks uh, discussion but uh, well, that may, may wait for a later date um, for now uh, I thank you for listening again our email is theaffairscode at gmail.com blog theaffairscode at blogspot.com where we will link uh, to everything that we talked about today all the tracks and Um, so you can stream them. Um, And yeah, so uh, with all that, thank Isaac again, and I wish you a pleasant week or day or whatever it may be.